Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning, and uh, we're just thrilled that you've made the time as we sink deeper into the summer and the weather gets uh, up in the 90s and so on and so forth. I'm always amazed how many people are here on Sunday mornings and watching online. Uh, lots of reasons and excuses to get away, but it's glad that you've uh, made the choice to be here. A uh, couple of things that we just want to mention. Um, one of the things that I want to let you know is that uh, we're not only still in our pastoral youth pastor search, and we're still working on that. That's had its ups and downs. Uh, just so you know, the uh, Benfords that were here a couple of weeks ago that we introduced to you, they bowed out of the process, so we are uh, realigning our focus to find uh, the next candidate that's in line. So just so if you're wondering about that, that's kind of where that developed. Um, the other one is that we're also looking for another transition in staff. Uh, Amber Sullivan's been in the office for the last year and a half and has done a super job. But between adding kids to the family and trying to juggle all that and do other things, they've, uh, that's been a big challenge. And so uh, she just asked permission to step out of this role and look after some family things, which we're happy for her to do, but now we're looking for two staff people. So um, if you know of somebody that might be interested in that, they can contact uh, Todd Johnson. We uh, have a job description that we'll post uh, looking for someone. She's going to keep doing this through the summer to help us make the transition. And uh, I, I know it always goes through someone's job, especially when you're dealing with staff, is like, are they leaving? No, they're not leaving, they're just leaving the office and they'll be here on Sunday mornings. If you don't see her this morning, they went camping, so that's, no, don't worry about it, it's not a problem, all that kind of stuff. Um, and speaking of gone, uh, my wife and I are heading off for about three weeks of vacation tomorrow morning. So we're looking forward to that, to be honest. We love being here, but uh, between the two of us, we could use the break. So um, uh, we're taking off early in the morning. By 1.30 tomorrow afternoon, we should be in Puerto Vallarta, and I will completely forget about what's going on here. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. But in any event, uh, we're happy to get a, get a break and looking forward to it, but uh, we know God works and continues to work and God's doing some great things here. So bow with me if you will and we'll pray before we step into the scriptures this morning. Father, we are reminded by your word of the great challenge and in some ways the feeling of impossibility of this call that you've placed upon our life. We're constantly reminded that on our own efforts we do not have the capacity to live out your call upon our life. And yet that's why you have indeed given us your word so that we can, in a sense, uh, stop trying to figure it out on our own and just drink deeply of your word and learn to apply our lives to it. It, it teaches us not to live and learn, but to learn and then live in a way that's godly and honors you. We ask that as we continue uh, that your spirit will be a, a real entity in our life, that you have made him dwell within us so that he empowers us to experience your personal presence in a transformative way so that we can then live to the expectations that you have for us. We want to be reminded of that this morning, that our lives are built around the person of Jesus and that you've called us to be a light in this world. Not by our own efforts, but by our relationship with you and your dwelling spirit, we just ask that you will continue uh, to help us live with the kind of faith that takes those steps of faith into a dark world and reflect the presence of Christ to people who desperately need it. And so we ask for your wisdom and we just pray for your spirit to be our teacher this morning in Christ's name, amen. Well, being a light in a dark world, we're going to be in the end of Romans uh, 13 this morning, and uh, then we'll take a break. We'll, uh, we have some guests coming at the end of August, and uh, we're going to do a little mini-series around the gospel and mission at the end of August, and then we'll step back into Romans 14 as we get to the home stretch of the book of Romans, which should only take another couple years at best uh, if we uh, do what we keep doing, but... Uh, I was reading an article this week actually out of Canada. It was back in the times when crime was increasing in Toronto and the mayor at that particular time started this thing called Light the Night Campaign. Basically the idea was that they wanted everyone to turn their external house lights on and as everyone did that it would light up the darkness enough and actually cut crime down. And in fact that actually is what happened in that particular, they got enough people to turn on their lights where it's very difficult for people who are trying to be thieves or whatever to hide and it actually 
had a, a marked difference in terms of uh, the crime and the theft and other things that normally go on at night. Uh, what's intriguing about that story is that uh, there's another organization in Canada that has piggybacked that, and I'll talk to you about them at the end, but it's the leukemia uh, organization who has sort of piggybacked on the idea of light the night, but they're doing it for the cause of cancer and giving individuals who have who've really struggled with blood cancers and trying to give them hope and do research and raise money for that whole aspect. You know, it, it, we live in a dark world and, and people need hope and people need some sense of encouragement in the way that we live because if you, especially if you hang on to the idea that people are basically good, this chaotic, evil, suffering world with all the stuff going on gets even more and more confusing. But if we understand it from the biblical reality that humanity is broken and dysfunctional and out of sync with God, then it starts to make a little more sense that people act the way they do because of this separation, this brokenness in their relationship with their creator. And when we strike out to do life on our own that doesn't necessarily reflect the way God wants us to live, then we step into the darkness ourselves, and, and then wonder where God is when it comes to the way we live. The text that we're dealing with this morning is a fitting end to Romans 13. He summarizes it this way, starting in verse 11. Besides all this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than what we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and, its, um, and, it, and to gratify its desires. Psalm 18 makes the statement, to the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless, to the pure you show yourself pure, but to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty or arrogant. You, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. You know, if you don't feel the darkness, you are living in a secluded world. You, if you don't feel the weight of that and the temptation of it, you're probably not engaged very much. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And yet over this last year, we've had even Christians sort of crumble under the weight of all the things that are going on and some living very anxious and sometimes fearful lives because of all the chaos that we see, not just in terms of, of pandemics, but the civil unrest and the ethnic uh, struggle that we're going through to find this sense of equality and, and justice. And it begins to weigh on you as, what's the potential end of this? Could this train wreck on us? Could this create uh, such chaos in our own culture that we really find ourselves in a civil war, emotionally and philosophically and, and biblically? I, when Paul finishes this section off, he's talked about a lot of things. I won't go back and review the last 12 chapters. But I do want to remind you that, that he is going to call and make an urgent call for believers in Christ, as he says here, to wake up. To don't get duped spiritually so that you're out of touch with God and don't know how to live in the world because it's a dangerous world, there's pitfalls. And it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen a Christian train wreck their lives because they've gotten caught up in the darkness of the world that we live in. For example, when he says here, he begins by making this urgent plea for living in the light. He says very clearly as you begin to look at these verses, and this do, knowing the time, that it is already uh, the hour, pardon me, and it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. Now I know most of us would probably say, well, I don't know, I mean, I sleep through Brad's messages once in a while and I get a good night's rest and that kind of stuff, but spiritually, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm trying to be in the word, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to be active, but my life is so busy that it's kind of, you know, I've just not quite got all the ends wrapped up well and I don't know if I'm doing as well as I could. I guess I could always do better. But this plea is a little bit different than just kind of like pay attention. It's literally the idea that spiritually, He's writing to these Roman Christians and he's saying, listen, 
you got to wake up. you got to look around you and realize the darkness is encroaching upon life, and, and if you don't wake up, you're going to get smothered by it. If you're a parent in today's world, you better be aware of the darkness because it'll gobble up your kids faster than you can eat a meal. If you're trying to figure out how to live out the Christian life in the work world with all the changes that are going on and all the protocols, you better pay attention. You need to wake up and know your spiritual anchors and foundations or it'll gobble you up. The context in which Paul writes this follows what we talked about last week, and that's the whole issue of living by God's love. And I will suggest to you, based on the context of this, what Paul wants today to suggest to us, first and foremost, is that we know that we're spiritually asleep if we're not being energized by the love of God on a constant basis. If God's love is missing in terms of the fabric of my own life and my motivation, in terms of living for him and being compelled to live for him and not myself, then we've already fallen into a spiritual stupor where, where we become apathetic and indifference, that we become very nonchalant about the condition of our world. And, and, and if Christianity has become simply a routine that I try to keep myself from doing bad stuff and I try to be the best person I can on a week-to-week basis, it's possible you could be spiritually asleep. The absence of a life filled and compelled by agape love is probably the first indication that we're spiritually sleeping. And so as we move through this, we're going to discover that there are a lot of things we have to do. If you go to, for instance, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 5, the church at Ephesus, he, he talked a lot to the church about, hey, I know your deeds and I know your perseverance. I know you've persevered in all these different things and you haven't grown weary, but his statement to them was, the one problem I have with you is you've left your first love. And so it's very possible for a church to be very active and doing programs and persistent and being engaged in life in some respects and still have left our first love, the person of Christ. And so it becomes profoundly deceptive The response to the the Ephesian church was to repent and learn to do the works that you did at the first. It is a subtle danger, but the spiritual insight that he gives to us is that the time has come, the hour is now for you to wake up and pay attention to the world you live in. And he's gonna tell them, listen, if there's any hope for the world, it's gotta come from the church and you've gotta be an agency of light. Because the world's not going to find it anywhere else. They're not going to find it in government. They're not going to find it in the judicial system. They're not going to find it in Save the Earth movements. If you want to be what God wants us to be, he says you've got to wake up because the time is now. Now clearly he was writing back to them at that particular time, but I think it's very apropos for us to pay attention to the same kind of movements that he was dealing with. I mean, we could spend a long time looking at all the avenues of what's talking about, but he not only talks about a spiritual insight, but he talks about an eschatological reality. Now, you may not like that word. Eschatology is really the idea of end times stuff. If you talk to some of our people that are into eschatology, it's all about prophecy and where God's taking his purpose and plan in the world. We look for, there's lots of different theologies about how that will look, but he tells us in this particular time that our salvation is near to us even more than it was when we first believed. Now that makes sense because God has a purpose and plan. He has, he is, if you look through the scriptures, you can see that he has his fingerprints on the ebb and flow of nations and history and where it's going and how it's going to finish. It's one of the great comforts of the scriptures, regardless of whether you read Revelation and Isaiah and Daniel and all these others or not, is that no matter how messed up the world is going to be, God's still on the throne and he's still in control. And it's because of that we ought to have confidence to live by faith as light in the world because no matter what happens, we live securely in the hand of our Father and he'll never let us go. This perspective would probably be certainly writing to Gentiles, but the Jews had a very particular end times perspective. When Jesus appeared after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1, the disciples gathered around him and he said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this particular time? 
And he doesn't say that's not going to happen. He says, it's not for you to know the times. I want you to be my witnesses. If I was using the language of Paul in Romans, you're going to be a light to who I am, to people in the world. And he's called them to remember that. But Paul says here, listen, our final salvation is coming. I mean, he's really talking about the king, that Jesus, a person, is coming back, and he will establish his kingdom, and he will reign on this earth, and he will correct all the evil and injustices. He will bring about perfect peace. He will bring about true justice. We will be able to see him as we would look at one another sitting across from each other. He is a real person. He exists in flesh and bones, and he is the one that saved us from this darkness that we live in. His kingdom is is going to be one that we could talk a lot about. It'll be physical. It'll have a sense of governmental existence. It'll have a, a religious component to it in terms of sacrifices. It'll have a moral component and a social component. We won't go into all that, but it'll be a a real place with a real king. And Paul is saying very clearly that that before that time comes, we need to live in in a way that actually anticipates and believes that he's coming back. Now, we won't get into all the discussions about rapture or whatever. Regardless of what you believe, There is a real Savior who will come back in real time and he's going to make a real difference in terms of where this earth is going. And while comforting, it also is challenging. That Paul's instruction says, listen, if you claim to know this Savior, this King, and you believe in his kingdom purpose and that he's got his fingerprints on time and history and he's working it out, he also has his fingerprints on your life because you've put faith and trust in him to save you from this darkness And he calls you to live as children of light in a dark world. We don't have the option to abnicate that responsibility. In fact, a true believer doesn't want to abnicate that. A true believer in Christ, if motivated by the love of Christ, that the greatest occupation they have, the greatest mission, the the most spectacular hobby that they can engage in is going to be the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, for some of us, that last time we shared the gospel with somebody might have been years and years and years ago, and some Christians have never shared the gospel with anybody. And our excuses always end up terminating on the same thing. I don't know if I know the right answers. I don't know if I know the right information. wonder if I make a mistake. wonder if I can't answer the questions that they have for me. And, we, and we, we want to be the light, but we keep depending on our own abilities and our own capacity in order to fulfill it. And I want to I throw it out there for you to consider that if we're not engaged in spiritual conversations, if we're not seeking to engage people with the gospel, then we're spiritually asleep. That we've abdicated the greatest privilege that God has given to us as children of light because we're way more worried about stuff of this world. And at the heart of this, as Jesus told his disciples, listen, it's not for you to figure out all this thing that's in the Father's heart and mind. All I want you to do is be my witnesses. I want you to be a light. I want you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to consider the reality that if you haven't done that, to spend some time before your heavenly Father and say, Lord, I know how much I struggle with this. My brokenness gets in the way of me sharing the greatest news in all of the universe, and I'm not sure how to do it, but I want to take a step of faith to be engaged in the redemptive rescue mission of men and women from the darkness that we live in. But the urgency, he also says, he puts an eternal priority on it. He says, the night is going fast, the day is at hand. It's kind of another foretelling of the fact that that Christ is coming back. Our salvation and deliverance is coming. And we have to live in light of that. Which means that there's huge opportunities. The darker the world gets, the greater the light should shine. And so there are opportunities all over the place. Jesus talked about that even back in Matthew 9. He sort of painted this conundrum where he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but often we don't see it. We walk by men and women all the time in our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhood, 
And sometimes we don't even get a second thought to, I wonder if they even know Jesus. We, never, we, we rarely take the time to sometimes connect with people, whether it's at the store or wherever it happens to be. Because we've convinced ourselves either they don't need it or I'm the wrong person to share the gospel. And, and one of the things I want to keep challenging you with is that if that's not in our heart on a daily basis, then maybe we are spiritually asleep. Because that's the mission that Christ has placed us on. And we all struggle with it. And at the heart of this is this whole opportunity that we've got our life set in motion, I've got my habits and my routines, pass by every day, but we're so busy at times doing our stuff that we've lost sight of the opportunity to make a spiritual difference, an eternal difference in the life of people around us. And I pray that we would stop living life for self. We look after our needs, we look after our family, we want to do great things for our kids. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But it is if we've fallen asleep to the spiritual privilege that we have to share Christ with others. Now he's going to be very particular about this and he's going to talk about what I'm calling the unity or unanimity for living in the light. And he says two things. Let us put off the works and deeds of darkness and let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Great statement. Now he does this as a Eris middle subjunctive, which I know you're just longing for me to say something really Greek. The subjunctive means that it's kind of an appeal, and you'll notice it's plural, so it includes himself. He says, we need to put off the deeds of darkness. So he's not condemning them, but he lists some particular things that clearly in the mind of Paul, we all need to learn to put off the deeds of darkness in our life, but he's mentioning some particular things, likely because he understands the darkness of Rome and the struggle that the culture has in doing lots of perverted, corrupted, immoral things, and some of these people were saved out of it and probably struggling to put these deeds aside. But make no mistake, the fact that it's a first-person plural says, listen, we all need to give attention about putting away the deeds of darkness. It's an heiress, so it's kind of like, we just gotta make up our mind, this isn't gonna be part of my life. These are lives, that's part of my old life, I'm not going back to that. But the question is, how do I keep from doing those things? How do I keep figuring that out? How do I get free from these deeds that I've struggled with? Well, let me list the things that he talks about just to at least paint the context. He puts three sets in two each. So the first one he talks about, in one version ESV, talks about not orgies or drunkenness as the deeds of darkness. I don't know if that needs a lot of explanation, It really fits into the context of the fact that in Romans, he's already painted that we live in a dark world. Romans chapter one, verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. We're sinful. Romans five tells us that all people are ungodly, that we're weak so we can't fix our own problem, that we're sinners and that we're enemies of God. When you get to Romans 6, he talks about the fact that we have to decide how we're going to live, whether we're going to be slaves to righteousness or slaves to the flesh. So he said the struggle is very real. He's painted the dark world in which they've been saved out of and the darkness inside of them that they need God to fix in them. But these deeds of darkness just are unimaginable. If I go back to Romans 1, we understand that the reason the world is dark is because humanity has exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for creation, an image of corruptible man. He also tells us that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so we live in a world where they wanna, they've exchanged these things, all of humanity, and so God doesn't become part of the equation on how they want to live. Orgies are simply drinking parties involved in uh, unrestrained indulgence. The idea uh, goes back to Exodus 32. You remember when Moses was up on the mountaintop with God getting the ten words of the ten commandments and he was up there for a while. He was on a three-week vacation too. And the people kind of like, 
dude, what are we doing? This guy's like gone. He's, he's not even taking a vacation, but he's found another church to pastor. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Don't, don't start any rumors. But they're out there, so they decide they're going to switch gods. So they build these golden calves, which there's some debate in terms of what they were really doing, and then they start partying and indulging in everything they can. It's like, we're tired of waiting. We've got these gods that are going to celebrate, and they're doing it right under the nose of God. Right under his nose. I'd say they'd fallen spiritually asleep because they'd given into the darkness. And they start partying. Moses comes down and has a fit and breaks the Ten Commandments. He melts down the golden cast, makes them drink it. He even sends out the priests to execute people who are indulging in such sinful activity that they executed. But the ultimate problem is that they've abandoned God. Now, I know Christians wouldn't think of doing stuff like this. Unless you're in 20th century America, where sometimes Christians have a real hard time. Drunkenness. There are all kinds of things that afflict people's lives. But he's saying, listen, the idea isn't to being relevant to the culture. The issue is being relevant with God. And that comes from the deep, intimate life that I draw from the Spirit of God. And and the danger is, is that we've at times wanted to be so relevant to the culture that we've basically abdicated our relationship with God. I'd rather be somewhat irrelevant and awkward with the culture if it means being a light for Jesus. And and so as he works through this process, he then goes on and says, Well, the second set is not in sexual immorality or sensuality. Probably one of the most difficult issues that plagues even the Christian community. Yeah, we claim to know Jesus, but got to get my fixes. And so we, we, we have a Christian community at times that is not experiencing the power of the personal presence of Christ because we're grieving the Spirit of God because he has to deal with blatant sinfulness because we think that our needs are more important than God's purpose. And Paul's coming right out it. We not only have to all get rid of the deeds of darkness, but some of, some of you got really latched into some of these things because it was part of the culture that you grew up in. Now he's inferring from this that God is bigger than your problems. That God can help us conquer even our worst addictions. But he's not a concierge where you can keep sort of, uh, as he says, he'll say later, if you keep making provisions for the flesh, in other words, you keep in your mind making plans on how to sort of, uh, you know, do the secret sins and not have to, you know, hopefully nobody will catch, you're going to live a pretty powerless life because you're going to blatantly go make provision for something that we shouldn't. And the the unity here is that we all have to agree, even though all of our stuff is different, that we're going to say, listen, living like that is a lie. It's part of the old life. It's it's decrepit. It's corrupted. It's dysfunctional in terms of who I am in Christ. And whether we want to justify it in our own mind like it doesn't hurt anybody, so I think I'm okay with it, is that we've literally got to say, the deeds of darkness I'm done with. I'm going to focus my life as living in the light. Because there's nothing sadder than a powerless church because there's such impurity filtering through the private recesses of people's hearts and minds that God can't work for them. And then finally, he says, not in quarreling or jealousy. Now, here's basically the statement. If you want to know a person who's spiritually fallen asleep and is out of alignment with God, these are some of the things that are going on. The deeds of darkness start showing up in our life, and whether they're this extreme or not, life becomes governed by the deeds of darkness. They don't become reflections of the fruit of the Spirit. And unfortunately, we all know that Christians are far from perfect. That's not the point. But he has saved us to be in this journey where now I am taking the hand of Jesus and he's teaching me a new way to live. And I'm going to, 
exchange the lie that I'm believing and I'm going to start embracing the truth that he says is true about who I am and how I'm supposed to live. Instead of worshiping the creation, and I'm all about nature and enjoying it, but if you worship that more than you worship the creator, you're out of alignment with God. Sexual immorality and sensuality. It's it's plagued our culture. And it can plague Christians. And so when we start thinking about this, this unanimity, this unity for living in the light, is that those who are spiritually asleep, I'll summarize it this way. First of all, God's agape love isn't what's motivating, motivating them to live. Like Revelation 2, they've usually lost, left their first love. And they might be diligent and persistent and religious and volunteer a lot and do all those things, but you can do all that and have left your first love. I love how Zephaniah 1.12 puts it. Jesus says, behold, I'm going to take a lamp and I'm going to search Jerusalem with lamps and I'm going to find the people who, I love the way New American Standard puts it, who are stagnant of spirit. ESV says complacent. And, and the way you can tell complacency is that the very next verse says, basically the, the opinion of the person, well, the Lord's not going to do good or, in, or evil. In other words, I don't see the Lord working at all in anything. And you can tell a person who's spiritually asleep because they've got nothing to talk about in terms of the work of God in their life or the work of God around their life. They've got nothing because, well, I'm, my spirit is stagnant. I don't see God doing anything. So he says, we gotta, we got to put away this, these deeds of darkness, and then comes back and says, you got to put on the armor of light. It's a really powerful statement. And it's our responsibility to walk in the daytime, he says. He uses these grand images of night and darkness. And so he, he sort of pulls this together saying, listen, in light of the fact that Jesus is, our salvation is coming, that Jesus will return, we got, we got to keep that in mind when we're living our life. It's, it's funny how you have discussions. I've got like a 27-year-old and a 31-year-old who's married and they're expecting their first child in October. Kind of like, when did that happen? That's okay. Some of you are parents and you're going like, your kids are going into like junior high. You're going like, when did that happen? Time is moving fast. Really fast. And the older we get, the no, the, we know the faster it's moving. And so he's saying, listen, our responsibility is to walk in the daytime. Not live like you're at night. You know, at night, those are the secret things go, where people try to do deceptive things and selfish things and evil things. And if you live in the daytime, then you see clearly the, the life around you. And, and he's basically saying, if you live in the light, then, then you can see clearly where your life has to go. One of the things that he talks about here is he moves from that quickly to say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here. If you miss nothing else, I hope you catch this one. The imagery is not put on the law. The word put on is literally to embrace. Make, embrace this and make this a reality. He doesn't say put on the law so that you can keep all the rules. He doesn't say put on religion so that you know how to do all the, the habits and the routines of your particular church or whatever. He doesn't say, put on your traditions. You know, let's make, whatever happens, we've got to make sure we keep our traditions because that's how, that's how we live the Christian life. He doesn't say, make sure, you know, put on your authentic self so that you can be truly who you are. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, put that on. The imagery is twofold. Put on the armor of light and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not about legalism or putting on the law or being faithful to the rules and regulations. It's not about being faithful to the traditions. It's not about being faithful to myself, as if broken humanity can ever discover authentic us. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean some of these things like the law is irrelevant. We already went through that last week. But the point is, my point of motivation and authority is a person, not rules and regulations. It's, it's a person, it's not tradition. It's a person, not religion. 
And I honestly believe that one of the greatest struggles and gaps in us experiencing the power of God in our own life to transform us is that it's very easy to treat God as a concept or an idea or a a religious thought rather than a person. And we don't experience the power of his personal presence because I'm into religion or I'm into traditions or this is just a routine that I'm into rather than a person that I'm in love with. And the focus here is clearly on the point of Jesus, that it's his love for me and my love for him. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ compels us. And so that we who live no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose on our behalf. And I don't know if I can put this powerfully enough. We're putting on Christ, being filled with the fullness of him in us. We are to be putting on Jesus, not living for ourselves, but for him who died. We're putting on the Spirit of God, transforming our character into the image of Christ. We're putting on truth, having his wisdom to live in light and put off the deeds of darkness. We're putting on grace to live godly lives. We're putting on his love so that we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We are embracing the person and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is to be Lord and master of how I live my life, and he has every right to ask me whatever he wishes to accomplish whatever he has in mind. We are putting on a person in this deep, intimate relationship with him, and and I can tell you, there's times in my life where I know I've been spiritually asleep because I've reduced Christianity from the person to religion or rituals or habits or behaviors or ministries or programs. And the success in the Christian life is how well I do in those things rather than my love relationship with Jesus. And then finally, he says to us, not only putting on the person but submitting to him, but he says our requirement is to make no provision for the flesh. The word provision is the mean, literally means to think ahead of time. One commentator translated it uh, as being this idea of stop making plans in your head to indulge the flesh. Stop giving room in your head to think about bad stuff or evil things. There was a young successful lawyer who uh, told the story that the greatest gift that he ever received was one Christmas when his dad gave him this little tiny shoe box. He opened it up and there was a note in the box. And the, mo- and the note said this, son, and listen to this carefully, this will make you think a little bit. Son, this year I will give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. So obviously he's a workaholic, never home, never pays attention to his kids, so he's trying to figure out a way to spend time with his kid. It's yours. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go, play what you want to play. It'll be our hour. He goes on to say, my dad not only kept his promise, but every year he renewed it with me. He says, it's the greatest gift I've ever had in my life. I am the result of his time. Now, on the one hand, that sounds spectacular. On the other hand, it's like 365 hours, that's it? That's what you're giving to your son? You know, sometimes our statement to God is the same way. Not God's statement to us, but our statement to him. God, this year, I will give you 365 hours. An hour every day after dinner or before lunch or whatever, it's yours. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go. We'll play what you want to play. That hour will be yours. But the subtle inference is the rest of the week is mine. And sometimes we're spiritually asleep because we don't see our whole life given to Christ 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We dedicate certain time frames that we give to God and that's all you get. Aren't you impressed with what I'm doing for you? And I wouldn't doubt that there's some Christians who would actually believe that they'd be doing God a favor to create that kind of time. 
But the unanimity for living in the light is to make no provisions for the flesh. And, and I want you to just look at Galatians to remind yourselves what the flesh is. Works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we're dealing with that kind of tidal wave of dysfunction from the darkness, I'm not sure just like God will dedicate an hour a day to you is going to cut it. Well, Brad, how much time is, do you think God wants? All of it. Was that, wait, wait a minute, does that mean I have to pray for 24 hours? No, of course not. What it means is my life needs to be centered on the light and put on the Lord Jesus so that when I live life, I look it through the eyes of Jesus. Everything I do, when I go to work, when I take vacation, when I'm in a hobby, when I'm meeting with the neighbors, when I'm cleaning the yard, when I'm doing chores around the house, when I'm getting away on a date with my wife, when I'm disciplining the kids, everything is about living out the life of Christ in every particular environment. It's not about how much time we give to Jesus, it's whether we give our lives to him. Think of it this way. When we start looking at our life, one of the things I did one time, it's fairly terrifying, but anyway, is, is to think of it this way. When you read statements in the gospel where it says, every careless word you'll have to give an account for, it made me think, you know what? God is videotaping every one of our lives, night and day, private or public. How would you feel about that? Well, he's doing it anyway because he knows everything. Now, here's, here's a really stereotypical way to think about whether I'm living in the light and put on Jesus or whether I'm sort of spiritually asleep. I, I think for some people they would go, oh great, God's gonna find all the things in my life and record all the screw-ups and all the sin and all the bad stuff and that'll just give him a perfect excuse to kick me out of heaven when I get there or at least I'll lose all my rewards because I know that he's just going to find all the bad stuff. I will contend that's a person who's spiritually asleep because I think the right attitude would be, wow, God's going to videotape my life. Okay, well, that can be embarrassing and it motivates me to live better, but at the end of that, God's going to show how his grace has been redeeming and saving me throughout my whole life and he gets the glory. It's not about my performance. And if you're spiritually asleep, you would be terrified of God videoing your life because all you're thinking about is that I'm not living up to the rules and I haven't, I'm, my performance isn't up to snuff and I've got to do more and I've got to work harder. That's a person who I think is spiritually asleep because they don't understand this relationship with their Savior who sacrificed his life so that you could be part of his family and that you are greatly loved. Let me remind you of two more things. I love 1 John chapter 5, or pardon me, 1 John 1, 5. It, it tails right into what we talked about. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live, live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It goes on in the next verses to say, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you have a perfectionistic view that I gotta get everything right and nobody can find the flaws in my life, you're not living in the light. That's a lie. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Do you, do you see the, the difference in how people think when it comes to living in the light? One, it's all, it could all be negative. Listen, we could all pile up enough negative that God would change his mind and say, I'm booting you out of this family. That, that, we're not tolerating that. But you know what? The reason he doesn't is because of the sacrifice of his holy, precious, sufficient son of God who died to deal with this junk that we've dealt with. 
And if you won't believe that, then you're gonna default to not living in the light because you won't buy it that God's the sufficient for where you're gonna live. There is a story of, written in the Prairie Overcomer, where a gentleman was in Norfolk, Virginia and saw a magazine as advertised for a television station. They were seeking ads to enlist more viewers from the station. It was only for one hour uh, in the evenings, but the statement, the advertisement was this, give us one hour and we'll give you the world. That was it, give us one hour and we'll give you the world. You know how, what I think Jesus would say to us? Give me your heart and I'll change your world. Give me your life and I will, I will change the world. See, some of us hearing that would go, there's no way I can make a difference. God couldn't use me that way to change the world. I'm struggling with them changing my world because I don't get this darkness in me and these deeds that I keep doing. He can't even change my world, much less change the world through me. And I just want to go back and say with all the love and compassion I can is maybe the danger is, is we've, run, we've slipped out of alignment with God and we're spiritually asleep. And what we need to do is waken ourselves up and get before the throne of God and say, God, I need you to refresh the reality of Jesus, my Savior and Lord, in my own heart. And I want to turn my heart over to you because I've kept some of it to myself and I want to be in control of some of the things I do and there's some things I just don't want to give up and I haven't. And today is the day that I want to discover how to live in the light and put on Jesus and it starts at the throne of grace. And whatever confession you need to make to Jesus... You need to absolutely know if you're a child of God, he will not cast you out, he will not abandon you, he will not forsake you, he will forgive you is what the text says. In fact, the pathness to greatness in the kingdom is, our, is forgiveness and humility and restoration and surrender. It's not about trying to prove to God how good I am. Back in Canada, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada piggybacked on Light the Night. And here's a quote from their website in one of the regions I picked on Calgary because that's where I came from. Here's what they said it is. Light the Night brings communities from across Canada together for a magical evening to share stories, remember loved ones lost, and pay tribute to our heroes, bringing light, love, and hope to dispel the darkness of blood cancer. Do you know why we're to be light in the world and put on Jesus? Because the world has a blood cancer called sin. And they don't need our condemnation. They're struggling and floundering and warring, trying to find some sense of purpose and meaning in life. What they need is a people of light that will offer the hope that there's healing in the shed blood of Christ, that he can save them from the cancer of sin and he can bring them into the family of God. And while we'll never be perfect in this journey, that he can bring healing in places where we've just managed our problems and our sin. He can bring freedom in areas where we've never discovered freedom. He can help us to learn to love when we've never felt like we've been loved. He can change your world if you give him your heart. And he can change the world with one person whose heart is completely his. I think we need to be a people of light as much for our own sake as for the world's. Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? You may not do it now, but boy, I tell you, my challenge to this is get before a throne of grace and say, God, what else do I need to surrender? 
I want to put on an armor of light. I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not about rules and regulation and religion and my personal convictions. It's about being compelled by Jesus into a dark world, dark world to make a profound difference for all eternity. When he changes your world, he will use you to change the one out there. Let's pray together. Father, we at times seem swallowed up by all the stuff going on in our world. Now we struggle with it. We're not sure that we have a lot of confidence that there's any hope out there at all. But Father, give us the courage to get before your throne of grace and get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm feeling more worthless and distant and isolated in this world. And whether I've done it before, whether I've understood it, whether I still understand it or not, I, I want to be one of your children that puts away the deeds of darkness and I want to put on the armor of light and the Lord Jesus and live in a way that's under the love and the care of Jesus himself. I'm discovering that I've been maybe more spiritually asleep and I need to wake up to the reality of my relationship with you and all that you want to do in me and all that you can do through me, not based on what I think I can do, but based on the reality of what you have already done in my life, that you're the one that changes hearts, you're the one that changes lives, you're the one that changes our world so that we begin to see how we can be a light in a dark world. Forgive us for believing in lies. Forgive us for doubting you. Forgive us for exchanging your glory for earthly things. Forgive us for exchanging the truth that you communicate to us by buying into the lies of my own rhetoric and the propaganda of others and the clarion call of a lost world. Help me to look into the face of Christ and purify myself just as he is pure. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.